Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another episode of V Brown Bag. Tonight, we are going to be continuing our Python for DevOps series, and I'm very excited to have a, a, a longtime contributor, um, Randall Hunt, come back and uh, and do a little bit of more uh, of chatting with us. Blah. Um, so tonight, Randall Hunt is going to be presenting adding intelligence to applications with Python, Boto3, and machine learning APIs. But first, a few housekeeping notes. Get in on the conversation. If you at vbrownbag or hashtag vbrownbag, I will be paying attention to the Twitters tonight. So if you have any questions from the live audience, please feel free to either put them into, into Twitter or pose them to, the, to us in the Q&A board. I will moderate them for Randall. Um, there's also the Latin America and the EMEA vbrownbags on, on the other nights. Here's all the information for that if you want to check it out. Um, so without further ado, we have Randall Hunt. He is at JRHunt on Twitter. And I, of course, am Chris Williams, Mr. Wire. Um, you guys know me. So without further ado, Mr. Hunt, are you there, sir? I am. Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. I will give you the power. All right. I just have to figure out which of my five screens here is the one that's being shared. Sorry. <laughs> Wait, five screens? Oh, see, now I'm jealous. Yeah, you have five screens. Here we go. Up my game. All right, I see a Jupyter Lab notebook and a um, and another screen, uh, a shell screen. Wonderful. All right. So, hi everybody. My name is Randall. I'm a software engineer and developer evangelist over at Amazon Web Services, which means I have the distinct pleasure of chatting with a bunch of wonderful AWS customers and trying to solicit feedback from them on our services so that we can do more stuff with them. You can reach me you know, in a bunch of different ways. There's this way, which is my email. You're more than welcome to use that if you have any questions about this. Uh, but a much better way to get in touch with me is Twitter because I will respond on Twitter in uh, rapid fashion. So I thought that considering this is kind of Python, DevOps, the whole you know slew of different things that are happening in our industry, it would make sense to talk about a library called Bodo3. Now, Bodo3 is a Python library that you use to interact with AWS, with Amazon Web Services. And it's the third iteration, kind of, of the Bodo SDK. And the first question most people ask me is, why is it called Bodo? <laughs> and so Mitch Garnett is the creator of Bodo. Uh, you can find him on Twitter, and he's an amazing software engineer. works at uh, works at AWS and created a library called uh, Bodo. And that Bodo library, let me just adjust this really quickly. I guess I could try and find the right one. Photo core. See if we can't find the right repo here. Oh boy. Photo three. <laughs> oh, it's in its own repo. That's why. Okay. So there are the old versions of kind of Bodo, which I wouldn't recommend using. And then there was kind of this Bodo 2 thing, uh, which is what you see when you install regular Bodo. And Bodo 3 uses a completely different setup from the old way that we used to do things. So we would 
in the past when we had fewer services and fewer updates and less pace of innovation, we would make our updates to Bodo by actually writing the Python code that corresponded to the API calls for various services. So what we do now is we have these kind of cool models that are these JSON models over here in a package called Bodo Core. And if you look in this data folder of Bodo Core, you can see all of the different models for all of the different services. So we could look at one like um, Comprehend. That's one of the services we'll take a quick look at today. And you can see this kind of definition file that defines the endpoints that we can talk to, the shape of the document, so what the, the payload is supposed to look like. And Bodo 3 contains a couple of wrappers around these APIs, but the gross majority of the, the content in Bodo 3 is programmatically generated from Bodo Core. So one of the first things that you should do is pip install the Bodo 3 SDK. So that's, that's kind of step number one. We're going to update it. We're going to install it. And you can see it'll install Bodo Core 2 for us, and it'll, it'll do some other stuff uh, around that. Now, including the AWS CLI and, and some other good, useful things. Now, the next thing to do is to get your AWS credentials set up. So you can do that in this config file or this credentials file. I'm not going to show those to you right now just because I have a bunch of my own credentials in there. But one of the things that I want to urge people to do, please don't put your root account credentials in on a machine. What you'd vastly prefer to do is to take an IAM user, an identity and access management user, just create one of those and use that user or even use a role. So we can hop over here to the AWS console and look at this IAM side of things. You can see I have a couple of different users. And I should probably rotate every single one of these keys. Like, <laughs> that looks like mine. <laughs> do, do as I say, not as I do. So I, I have a couple of different, you know, setups here. And uh, I am is a global service, so you'll create these users in a bunch of different. You can create these, and they'll be they'll exist in all the different regions. And then you can come and you can sign in with different uh, roles into your account. But you don't really want to use those root account credentials, and that should be kind of outlined here on this uh, this dashboard. So it's going to tell you, you know, don't use your root account credentials, and you can get a credential report and all this other stuff. But if you take nothing else away from this presentation, please take away, don't use your root account, root account credentials. All righty. So we've covered Bodo Core, which is where a lot of the stuff we're going to be talking about today comes from. And we've covered the kind of outline of Bodo 3, which is a, a wrapper and some additional data on top of Bodo Core. And now I think we can probably get started programming. I have a bunch of different examples today, so if anybody wants to steer this in any particular direction, this is going to be kind of a live coding exercise. Hmm. But one of my favorite ways of coding is to actually use a, <laughs> a, a Jupyter Lab. So Jupyter is a great environment. It used to be called IPython way back in the day. It's, it's kind of a, a web-based REPL, a read-eval print loop. And Jupyter Lab is it's got a couple of additional features on top of that REPL. So we can hop into this, and you'll see it'll, it'll spin all this up for me. Uh-oh. 
Uh, I'm just going to delete everything that I already have. So we'll say the ground bag. And then we're just going to make sure I'm not running Jupiter somewhere else. Oops. Not running it somewhere else. Okay. So we're going to say Jupiter Lab. Pop that open. Do I have this open in another window? I do have this open in another window. Okay. There we go. So, and this brings us to this kind of nice console. And here we can open a terminal, we can create a text file, we can create a console. I like the notebooks, and I'll show you a bunch of reasons why I like these notebooks. One of my favorite things to do is you can kind of mix up markdown and code, and you can install extensions that include other things in here. But the first step in most of the programs that we'll be dealing with today is import Moto3. Now, once we've done this, this is going to load in dynamically a lot of the models and things that we're interested in, in talking about. But we're not going to get the tab completion or anything that we want from an IDE until we evaluate some of these statements. So if I were to say I want to create a DynamoDB client, and I'm just going to call that DDB, I could do that by saying boto3.resource.dynamoDB. And then I could say a table, and I could call that table. Well, let's look and see what tables I have, because I don't remember off the top of my head. Let's just find a random table. We'll pick one out. Um, yeah, this looks like a good one. So we'll say textract demo. Uh, and that'll give us a table. So this is one type of subcomponent of Boto3 is a resource. And a resource typically contains wrappers over the thin API. The other type of client would be something, the, the other type of sub-resource of Boto3 would be a, a client as opposed to a resource. So a client would be for interacting with some of the APIs, like uh, Boto3 client comprehend looks like this, and that, that's a client. So if we go, now that we've evaluated these statements, we'll get tab completion within this little IDE, and we can see all the different things that are available to us. So I would have something like put item, get item, and put item's pretty straightforward in DynamoDB. We're just gonna provide a, uh, a key like this, and then we can say, well, I guess we have to look at what the, the table definition is. Um, get. Yeah, well, we can look at it really fast because I don't remember. <laughs> Again, DynamoDB, tables, textract demo, document ID. So that's what we're for. So we're going to create just randomly uh, a new item just to show how this all works. And we'll say put item, uh, item equals, and then we pass in a Python dictionary. And we'll say, what is it? What is it? What document ID? Document ID. And I'll just put in one as the default. And it says. D in document, was that capitalized? I don't think so. Oh, I'm sorry. No. But we do need to see what type of field it is. So we can go back over here and we can look at the. So it's expecting a string. So if I pass in a number, it's not going to work too well. If we go like that, then we get our item. And then we can do. 
quick scan and we can get all of our documents out of the IDE. So that's how you can use resources. And there are a number of different resources that are available. The Boto3 documentation is typically up to date and pretty darn good at telling you what a lot of these resources are. So as you go through the different kind of services here, if you go to DynamoDB, for example, you can see you have a client, you have a paginator, you have a waiter, you have a service resource, and uh, EC2, I think, also has a resource, and S3 has a resource. And if I'm honest, I write a lot, a lot of scripts that work with Boto3 and work with Python. And most of the time, I am interacting with the client as opposed to interacting with the resource. I would say the few times that I interact with the resource are when I'm working with DynamoDB and when I'm working with S3. So S3 is another good resource. And if you want to talk to the S3 API, you can say boto3.client S3 API, which I think you, you kind of get how you instantiate these services now, right? So if there's an AWS service that you want to work with, really the easiest way to do that is to kind of figure out what the name of the service is, figure out the API calls, and then if you don't want to troll through the documentation, another very helpful high, uh, Python method is just the method help. And they're good, good doc strings that are available within Boto3. So if I say help on dynamodb.scan, nice. I will get a really nice kind of walkthrough here of all the different options available to me. So I use that help function all the time as I'm coding. And if I even want to not do that, if I want to go even further down the rabbit hole, there's a great Chrome extension called the AWS Console Recorder. And I think this was made by uh, Ian McKay, who's based out of Australia. I think he, I think he works for Kablammo. Um, sorry if I got that wrong. I don't remember the name of the company that he works for. But this is pretty cool, and it's, I think it's open source as well. But what you do is you can hop over to your AWS console, and you know, let's see here. I have one document. So let's say I want to put a document into this DynamoDB, DynamoDB table. So I'll go and I'll say start recording, and then I'll say create item, and I'll make this a value of hello, and I'll save it. And hopefully DynamoDB is one of the supported resources and it'll generate a bunch of stuff for me. Um, I think it generated way too much stuff for me. <laughs> uh, the, the only part that we're really interested in here right. is this, this part down here, is this put item. Uh, that's a really great way of, if you don't want to figure out exactly how all of this stuff works, if, you're, if you'd rather have some auto-generated code, you can use this console recorder to get a lot of that for you. So, uh, how do you get how do you using the console recorder? It's just a Chrome extension. So if you Google Chrome extension, oh. AWS recorder, uh -huh. it's a really great tool. I, this is how a lot of people learn the API calls. One thing I'll say is that keep in mind, these API calls are programmatically generated, which doesn't, it means they're not necessarily the most efficient or the most readable way of accomplishing what you're trying to do. But it'll give you output in CloudFormation and Terraform, Troposphere, CDK, the AWS CLI. Um, I, it'll tell you your policies, the JavaScript SDK, the Go SDK. It'll, it'll really do a lot for you. And this is a great starting point if you're not super familiar with the APIs already. That's fantastic.
it's really good, right? I, I, I love it. So now we can talk about some of the, the cool features in these machine learning services. So I'm going to show you what these machine learning services are. So if we go over here to services, you can see there's a breakdown somewhere. There are a lot of services now, so it's hard for me to find where everything is. Do you see the word machine learning on here? Um, every time I oh, see it, it's scrolling down. Okay. There it so is. machine learning, we have services like SageMaker. SageMaker is more of a platform level service. So the way that I think about machine learning within AWS is in three different tiers. At the bottom tier, you have the infrastructure, you have the core powerful beefy instances. In that middle tier, you have the platform level services. Those are things like SageMaker and EMR and that sort of content. And then on the top tier, you have these services, things like Amazon Comprehend, which can do natural language processing and analysis, Amazon Lex, which is a chatbot service, Amazon Polly, which is a uh, text-to-speech synthesis service, recognition, Amazon recognition, which is a video and a image analysis detection. There are lots of different things in here that we can talk about today. There's Transcribe, which will do the opposite of Polly, which is instead of speech-to-text, it will do text, or, or instead of <laughs> text-to-speech, it will do speech-to-text. And then translate will do neural topic translation, uh, or sorry, it will do um, neural translation between, I think, 417 different language pairs or something absurd like that. And personalize is for generating personalized recommendations. Forecast is for generating uh, forecasting information based on a time series data. And Textrack is for extracting in, uh, data from documents. Now, I, recognition. One thing I'll clarify very briefly here is recognition and Textract both have detect text in images. Recognition's detect text in images is more meant for real world images. So you take a picture of a street sign or a, a license plate or, or something out in the world, you're trying to extract tax, extract tax text from that. You are not trying to extract text from a document. So if you want to do OCR, you want to use Textract. Uh, forecast and personalize are still in preview right now, but if you're interested, so I'm not going to cover those today. But if you're interested in getting access to those, again, check my email in the beginning. I'm, I'm more than happy to pass along your request to the teams. So let's just uh, choose one of these at random. Uh, do you have a, a preference for which one we should start with? Um, I I do not have a preference. I'm 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 kind of partial to seeing something from SageMaker, but I'm not. But uh, I don't I don't know if that'll be. Uh, as, as I good think for, SageMaker has a pretty high barrier to entry yeah, for yeah, beginning yeah, programmers. So let's, let's start with Comprehend. There you go. <laughs> if, we, if we hop over to Comprehend, we can see a couple of different things here, right? So I can analyze text. I can get the entities out of the text. I can do key phrases. I can do language analysis. You know, we're confident this is English. I can do sentiment analysis. And sentiment analysis is probably one of the most popular things that I see from Comprehend. And then we have syntax analysis. It'll give us proper nouns and things like that. And you can see over on this application integration side, it'll tell me what the, the, the request is supposed to look like. And then it'll give me what the response is. So let's see if we can't throw this into Bodo 3 over here. So the first thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to press escape. And that's going to put me in command mode in this, uh, in this, in this JupyterLab notebook. And one of the things in command mode that you get is then key bindings, uh, which are vital. 
if you ever want to get anything done, you need to learn your Vim key bindings. There are also Emacs key bindings, but we're going to not go down that dark path. So one of the things that you can do here is you can press DD, and that will delete a cell. And I'm just going to go ahead and delete most of the cells that we've created today. And I'm going to create a new client, the Comprehend client. And I don't remember what all the methods on Comprehend are. So I see I have a batch detect. I have create document classifier, describe document classifier. What I really want to do is detect sentiment. So again, I don't remember what the method call for or, or what the input shape for detect sentiment is. So I'm just going to call help on that. And it's going to say, I need to pass in a text, and I need to pass in a language code. So I think I can just go and say uh, text equals, hello, my name is uh, Nigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. I know I spelled that wrong. but And then we're going to say the language code is en. And we can run it, and we get back that the sentiment was neutral. Really? So, <laughs> <laughs> it seems rather hostile to me. <laughs> I think if I add an exclamation mark, we might get a different response. Still neutral. It's very not positive. It's a little bit negative and very neutral. So let me let me make something a little more negative. <laughs> Hello, I hate you. <laughs> really hate JavaScript. And we can look at the result here. And that sentiment is negative. I think if you just include the word JavaScript, it should be a negative sentiment. Is, that, is it? Ah, oh, darn. <laughs> you wished. <laughs> <laughs> but if we include Python, Python is an overwhelmingly positive sentiment, right? Nope. Mm, I love Positive sentiment. And the best part about this is that it takes emojis. So we can put in, uh, and I have to open my little doc here and find the right emoji. Heart. We can pass in a nice little heart emoji here. And I think it should still come out as positive. Nope, neutral but only 50% neutral. <laughs> so you can detect sentiment. You can also do other fun things. So we could take some text like, today I am speaking at the brown bag, and Chris is nice and invited me here, even though I am totally bombing. And we could detect the different components of that. But rather than having to keep calling this out, one of the things that you often do in Python is you'll define kind of a wrapper method around this stuff. So if you go and say, uh, let's say detect entities, and I'll take text in, and I'll take a link, well, I'll take a language code in, and then I'll pass in a default argument for the language code to be English. Mm -hmm. um, and then that's our method. And then we're going to say we're going to call out to comprehend dot detect entities. And we can say text equals text. And that's going to be our method 
or we want to return, right? So that's going to be our method. And so we can say comprehend dot detect entities. And then we're going to say uh, text is going to be this. Only accepts keyword arguments. Well, that's unfortunate. Also, your arguments shouldn't be this way. We're going to make this more Pythonic. <laughs> language code is going to be equal to language code. And that should work. I am sad that it only detects keyword arguments. So, huh. what have I done wrong here? Troubleshooting 101. We've defined a method, detect entity. Oh, well, it would help if instead of comprehend.detectEntities, I called <laughs> the actual fun the function. Yes. Gotcha. Yes. There we go. And we can get our result back. And you can see we've got entities. We have a date today. And it's got the bounding, the bounding tokens of that. We've got, let's see, uh, an organization, which is V Brown Bag. We've got a person, which is Chris. It's very confident that you're a person. So congratulations on that milestone. And we can Only do some other things. Person. So we could even do, you know, we could take the same kind of method here and we could pass it off as a detect, detect syntax. And we could say, alrighty syntax, let me, uh, let me do the same thing that we've already been doing. And in typical Python fashion, you might notice that uh, these methods are very similar. So a lot of times people will create sort of a, a magic method that will pass down to the, the sub-methods. Um, so let's, let's run this whole shindig again, and then we'll say detect syntax. And it'll tell me what each one of these things is. A noun, a pronoun, an auxiliary. I don't know what an auxiliary is. A verb. And I think and is the verb, right? I, I, this takes me back to seventh grade, so. Prepositions, uh, pronouns. Not too interested in, in relearning the parts of speech. <laughs> so that's comprehend. And you can go and you can take anything that you're seeing here in the, the, the setup we have here, and you can use it in Bodo 3 with really minimal effort. So you can start integrating this into your existing application. So I could say, you know, import Twitter, uh, twitter.get user, or sorry, I think it goes like this, get user stream. And then I could say, you know, for tweet and get user stream, call out to detect entities or detect sentiment or something like that. And I could start putting that into a database. And as you saw before, if I wanted to do the whole DynamoDB thing, I, I could say um, DynamoDB.put item, and I could put the sentiment in there. I mean, we could write that right now, actually. I, I have no problem. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty confident we could do that. So we could say SSM. 
So I, I have some uh, existing parameters here for Twitter where I store uh, over in Simple Systems Manager and also in Secrets Manager. Mm -hmm. So if you look in Secrets Manager, that's another good service here. I have a couple of different secrets there, but I also have in Systems Manager, there's a subsystem of Systems Manager called Parameter Store. Let me see if I can find that down That's here. And hopefully you can't see any of the values. Great. So this is my Twitter account. So we're just gonna take this and we're gonna stream any of the tweets that are coming in. So typically when you do this sort of thing, you want to you know, have, have the name of the variable in a environment variable, and you can get that environment variable doing something like this. Uh, sorry, my, that's my, my mom calling me. <laughs> Hi, mom. <laughs> Hi, mom, I'm a little busy. Uh, and one of the best parts about this get env method is that you can supply a default. So the default is gonna be this parameter. So over here in Systems Manager, what's stored here are my access keys. Oh, that's cool. For Twitter. Yeah. So it's just stored in a string that's comma separated. And what we're doing is we're creating the SSM client, the Simple Systems Manager client. And then we're saying my credentials are going to be SSM.getParameter. And then we're going to pass in the name. And again, this should normally come from an operating system variable. And the reason you do it like that is it lets you make the script a little more portable. But since I don't have that operating system variable already defined, I'm just gonna pass in this default value string. So uh, you know, this, this is the equivalent of just saying slash Twitter slash jrhunt. And then we're gonna grab the parameter, we're gonna grab the value, we're gonna split by the comma, which is gonna generate something that looks a little bit like this, oops. So it's gonna generate uh, a series of credentials that looks like that. And then we're gonna pass those in to the OAuth1 session. Now, that's not quite right, actually, because what we wanna do is we wanna make use of a very special operator, which is this uh, unpacking operator. So there are two different kinds of unpacking. There's this unpacking, which, oops, which will uh, take an array and unpack it into the arguments for a method. And then there's this kind of unpacking. I don't, I don't know what the actual name for these operators are. It's so a, star args and star quarks. Is that, is that right. what this is referencing? Uh, sort of. So you, you have, uh, in, in when you're defining a method, you have quarks like that, which are keyword arguments, and then you have args, which are your, your regular positional arguments. But the, the operator itself, when you pass it in front of an array, will unpack that array as argument into that uh, function. And I'm just now realizing that I don't want an OAuth session. What I want is twitter.api, which isn't in my clipboard history. So uh, maybe we don't do this. But there's a reason <laughs> I wanted to do this. Um, so if we hop over real quick to GitHub and we look at my own code, let's see here. 
this should work. Nope, that's not the right one. Uh, let's look in AWS Labs. We go over real quick, to, and then we say um, recognition. I created this a long time ago, so just, uh, that's not right. Let's look for Twitter. That might be right. If this is in JavaScript, I'll be, there we go. Uh, Twitter proxy. Yeah, here we go. So you can see uh, they're following the same sort of uh, same sort of breakdown. So we just want to see where are they using Twitter. Create underscore create Twitter API, and we just want to say Twitter API, and we're going to do this same sort of thing, except we're going to do it uh, over here. And we're just going to pass in cred. And that tweet mode extended is just because tweets are now 200 and however many characters they are today. Hmm. Oh, right. And I'm going to restart our kernel really fast here because I've got a bunch of different variable names that I've called a bunch of different things. And instead of, we're going to say import Twitter. Oh, and this is just a personal thing. I like to keep my system imports at the top and then my third-party library imports at the bottom. I have no idea why. It's just the person who taught me Python was a person named Jesse Davis, uh, who works at MongoDB, an amazingly talented engineer. And that's the way he does it, so that's the way that I do it. <laughs> and then, you, of course, you need to install the right module. So we'll say install. Install Python Twitter. All right, and then we have a Twitter API. And I can go ahead and delete this other stuff. And we can say Twitter dot, oops, I probably should have saved this, API. API dot git dot git, yeah. Green, or I think there's a thing, verify credentials, yeah. All righty, so we have good credentials. We know that those are working. So let's say api.git. This is totally not what I had prepared for the stream. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's perfectly, but, dude, this, this is fine. We're, I mean, this is, this is all learning good stuff. I, it occurred to me that this would be a fun thing to build. So let's do git user stream. And this is just going to pull endlessly for tweet and get user stream. And we'll actually create a new notebook in another tab so that we can continue doing stuff while tweets are coming in. So we're going to call this the brown bag one. And we're going to call this the brown bag two. Um, and then we'll just do print tweet for now. Um, that didn't work. Why didn't that work? Get user stream. It's a generator. 
typically those generators will keep running. Let's just do a site stream instead. Weird. Let's look up the Twitter API really fast. <laughs> totally. It's normal, right? Git stream. Okay, I we'll just use this git stream filter. Or yeah, that seems that seems fine. I'm gonna just look for the word stream. <laughs> git stream sample, git user stream. Git user timeline. Yeah. Alright, so let's do git stream filter. And then, again, I don't remember what the, the method here does exactly, so I'm just going to call help really fast to get a good look at it. And we want to do a list of expressions to track. So what are we tracking here? We're going to say track uh, v brown bag. Is that the right hashtag? Mm -hmm. Yep, that's it. Uh, and then we'll set the filter level to none. Is none the default? Okay. And then we'll print the tweets. Uh, and you can see stuff is coming in. So these are real live tweets. Oh, and now my it's the kernel's crashed because that's a lot of data to be printing out. So great decision on my part. Yep, yep, restart, restart. Bork, bork, bork. <laughs> But we need to see what the shape of one of these is. So maybe we could just say grab this one. Come on. We'll grab this one. And we'll say data equals this. And then we can get a nice little pretty printout of it down here. And you can see this is the shape of the incoming Twitter data. And we want to pass this in. What does this? What does this say? Uh, I, I I don't know. Fucking period T. <laughs> <laughs> I did not read the tweet. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> maybe we should use a different tweet. <laughs> Is is that is that for, um is that from a hashtag v brown bag tweet? I don't see that in the tweet in the I'm running tweet deck and I do not see anybody saying saying such things. <laughs> let me turn the filter level on to uh, let, let me let me just leave the filter level at the default there. Um and then we could we could perhaps call again this uh, help method just to see. Oh boy, that's a lot of stuff. Yeah, the last the last one with the the uh, v brownback hashtag is actually one of mine. So let's call this again, get this restarted, and then uh, we'll just print out the first one and then break. And it can't decode it. 
unseparable items. Oh, that's because I changed this to follow. So yeah, let's let's again just take a quick look here and look at what the get stream filter output is. Hmm. So I was trying to follow a follow a list of user IDs to track, track a list of expressions to track. Well, I, I want to track V brown bag, so let's just say track. It's going to be this, hmm. and um, let's hope that this is better. Doesn't look much better. Anyway, if you knew the Twitter API better than I did, you would be able to take <laughs> this data coming in, and you could do something like you know detect sentiment, and uh, you could again do that text equals so and so, and then language language or sorry language code equals so-and-so, uh, and then you could do the whole the whole shindig. Rather than going through that whole shindig yet again uh, with this ill-conceived idea to, to do Twitter stuff, uh, why don't we instead look at some of the other APIs All right. in the prepared content that I have? <laughs> <laughs> we'll do it live. So, yeah, the do, doing it live, perhaps not the best idea. I'm going to pop over into this other... Uh, let me bring this one up into the... Ah, come on. That's not, Well, I'm just going to close this one. Um, and we are going to do... Yeah, let's just make a new notebook. So Python 3, new notebook, rename notebook V, brown bag 3. Uh, and one of the things that people are always asking me is, hey, how can I uh, blur out faces in a photo? So I have this code here, and we're going to use uh, the recognition client, and we're going to use the Python imaging library. The, by the way, the best way to install this is not to install the Python imaging library. It's to do pip3 install pillow. Pillow is a nice, well-maintained wrapper around the Python imaging library that I think makes it a little bit more friendly, depending on what you're doing. Nice. And what we're going to do is we're going to define a method that's going to use that, to open an image, uh, get the size of the image, and then we're going to move back to the beginning of the buffer. So I'll add some comments here. Move back to beginning of loaded buffer. And then we're going to pass in that buffer to the recognition service as base64 encoded bytes. That's what this is doing right here, is this detect faces call. And so we can look at what this looks like. Um, we can say help rec detect faces. And you can see that it's going to take in something in this shape. We can either pass in bytes or we can pass in an S3 object, and then we can say what attributes we want from the face. And then what we're going to do in the Python image library is we're just going to copy the face boxes, and the face boxes we're going to get by passing in uh, the, the detected faces and if the face has a confidence value over 90%, so we're not going to pass in every single face that it finds because it will find faces in reflections of car windows. Hmm. Uh, and they are actually faces, but you're not interested in, you know, they're, they're very low fidelity faces, so we're not interested in those. We only want the ones that are high confidence faces. We're going to return a bounding box based on the size, the source size of the image, and we're going to create that bounding box. We're also going to pass in the pose, 
So this is gonna include the role, the angle that the face is at, and then we're, we're doing this in something called a list comprehension. So this list comprehension, all it's doing, it's creating this tuple of bounding boxes, coordinates, and then it's going through that, and then it's saying, okay, for each face and face, do this thing. And then uh, in an incredibly ill-conceived effort, I'm gonna try and find a, no, that's a terrible idea. Um, let me let me just find a photo from the internet. So Justin Bieber, we'll just find a picture of his face and we will download it. Ugh, sorry. <laughs> Is that audible? Uh, no, I didn't hear the ugh. <laughs> I'm sorry, Canada. <laughs> oh no, they don't care. Um, no, I, Canada has this great TV show called Letter Kenny that I've been obsessed with recently. Letter Kenny. And then if we, Letter Kenny. It's a good, good show. Hmm. So That's now good. if we want to use this, all we have to do is pass in that uh, URL. And the way that I do this is I'm just going to use the built-in Python utility called uh, expand user to pass in this bieber.jpg. And then I'm going to say with open Bieber JPEG as a, as a binary file. And we're going to say as F. Oops. We're going to say image equals blur faces on F. And then we're going to say that's how it works. And then we're going to say image.show. And that's probably just crashes my whole computer. Did it? What if we did image.save? Yeah. So now I have Bieber's face blurred, which is what everyone wanted in the world, right? <laughs> <laughs> ah, much better. So you can use recognition, you can use translate, you can use all of these different services pretty easily. I mean, if I wanted to use translate again, just I can do it in, in five seconds here. I just say import photo three, photo three, or tran, uh, translate equals photo three dot client, translate, and then translate dot translate text and then source language. Yeah, well, I don't remember what it is, so we have to call help again. This is this is the common way that I use Boto3 is I'm just sitting here iterating, calling help on methods. Mm -hmm. And then it takes in a text, it takes in a source language code. That source language code can be auto, in which case it'll call out to comprehend to get the right things. And then there's target language code. But uh, I thought I'd kind of stop here since I've given you a brief overview of how you can kind of use this stuff. I have a bunch of different examples that I'll send over to Chris, that, you know, that, so hopefully you can link to those in, yeah, the, uh, in the show notes because I, I have examples. I, I do this, this twitch.tv stream all the time where uh, I just this – is, this is my day job is really to code and build this sort of stuff. So I, I'll go ahead and stop here and see if there are any questions – uh, yeah, a, a couple. Uh, actually, actually, the, the very first question is: is is the Twitch stream uh, using Python? Uh, the, well, the Twitch.tv/slash/aws stream, mm -hmm. if I am programming, is going to use Python. 
there's one episode I did ever, which is when we built a Chrome extension where despite my best efforts, we had to use JavaScript. And I apologize for that. Uh, <laughs> and, but, then and then there's AM who does nothing but JavaScript. Which is great. I think there are <laughs> lots of different programmers in the world that use a lot of different languages. If you want to focus on JavaScript, if you want to focus on .NET, on Java, on Go, I think there are a lot of great you know, utilities to all those different languages. But in my opinion, Python's the best, and whenever I get the opportunity to use it, I do. So I, if I'm on the stream, you can trust I'm going to do everything in Python. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so uh, another question. Well, there's there's actually there's actually a couple of comments. Um, it's it's interesting because um, a lot of the the uh, recurring viewers are talking about how uh, they're they're seeing the for loops that were referenced in previous talks, and they're and they're seeing the the function calls and and the references and and the default uh, parameter statements. Um, it, what, what you're what you're doing here is is showing us really good stuff, but it's also tying in a lot of of stuff that has already been talked about on the on the show. So this this is this has been really fantastic stuff. Um, yeah, I, I see I see people typing. It's, uh, it's they're saying thank you and this is fantastic. <laughs> oh great! If you if you want more content like this, I I do this all the time. And if you have questions, again, you know my my email is is out there. I uh, I have a bunch of different YouTube streams where I've gone and walked through making your Twitch chat speak using Poly or having people do SAML authentication or cool. you know, one of the things that happens in, in AWS is we have to do a lot of policy auditing. So it's really easy to write that audit code in Python when you have for loops and stuff like that, but it's really hard to define it as in like an Excel spreadsheet. So I have a bunch of different episodes where I go through and write some policy definitions and auditing tools. And and those and those are um, uh, saved on the Twitch stream and can be viewed at a later date. Well, after I think 90 days, it gets exported to our AWS YouTube channel as opposed okay. to our uh, Twitch stream. Okay, cool. All right, so so I can I can I can reference that in the show notes as well. Yep. Cool. Excellent. Uh, one other one other comment. It's um, it's cool. To, it's cool seeing how how a an advanced programmer still has to go back to the documentation and and reference things all the time, like I do. <laughs> so, for context here, I I used to work on you know code that helped spaceships land and take off, and I spent a tremendous amount of time in Stack Overflow, a tremendous amount of time digging through documentation. Hmm. Uh, Every programmer does this. Now, one thing that I think is important and one thing that I think isn't talked about often enough is this concept of a code radius, which is how much code you are willing to write from scratch. So if you get sat down on a plane and you don't have the internet available, what's the, the number of lines of code that you'll feel comfortable creating from scratch? And you'll find, I think, as you progress through your career in Python, that that code radius gets really, really big, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, mm -hmm. and then it starts to shrink. So it gets smaller and smaller, because you start to realize you don't need all of this object-oriented stuff. So while it's important to know it, and while it's important that it's there, a lot of times a method, or sorry, a, a, just a, a function that you define is equally as effective as this big object-oriented kind of hellscape. Mm -hmm. Okay. Interesting. Um, 
So, so uh, there, there, there's a, there's a couple of follow-up comments about about that, and and uh, they're they're not not asking, but basically making comments of of you know how much how much time they're spending googling stuff. Or, oh, actually, that's that's a great question. Uh, how what what is what is your code radius? What is what is the what is the the amount that that you're if if sat down on a plane? Yeah. Um, so I would say in Java and C++, my code radius is, is pretty darn large because you can write a lot of lines, you can build a lot of stuff, and with the type safety of those languages, you can actually infer how things are supposed to work together mm-hmm. without really needing to know what the underlying calls are. Python is different because Python, you're relying on the execution of the code to inform the decisions about what you're making because you're not always sure of what the types are. In Python 3, there's a really great type hinting situation uh, where you can say what you want the arguments and, and other components of this to be. I am not super fond of this syntax, but I am quite fond of the of what it enables. So if you imagine this syntax and then you have a default argument mixed with that, it can be very confusing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think other languages have a, a slightly better syntax around this kind of stuff. But my code radius for Python is probably pretty small. I'd say it's less than 1,000 lines, more than 500, somewhere somewhere in that range. Be- because you've been doing so, – so you're on the you're – past, you're past the large base, and now you're back on the shrinking side of it. Definitely. So, and, and part of that is I'm not writing, you know, real framework hardcore code every day anymore. It's more I'm trying to write code to get things done as quickly as possible while remaining readable. Mm. So if you think about it, code is really just a, it, it, it's a communication medium and an execution medium. So if you remember in high school or college or everything where they tell you to show your work when you're doing the math, mm-hmm you really want to write code that shows your work. So Python is a great language for that because it, it's typically pretty readable. And a lot of the syntax is, is kind of English oriented. So you can, you can read it left to right and infer a lot of what's happening. But you have to remember, it's not just an execution medium. If code were only an execution medium, we would all write in x86, or we'd all write in you know, binary or something. But it's also a communication medium. So my goal is always to figure out how I can create the best code, the most readable code for folks who are going to be building other stuff on top of this. Gotcha. And as you expand beyond that, it's not just about making the most readable code. There's some really common Python libraries like requests by Kenneth Reitz, mm-hmm. oops, uh, where you want to make the most friendly API and sometimes building a friendly API means the, the code that you're hiding behind that API is really ugly and gross. So it depends on who your target audience for that code is. There's a really great book by Charles Petzold called Code, The Hidden Language of Software. I think it's put out by Microsoft Publishing. I, I don't remember who, who puts it out, but if you, if you take the time to read that book, it's phenomenal. By who, I'm sorry? Uh, Charles Petzold. Charles Petzold, P-E-T-Z. That's old. Got it. It's a it's a great book, and I can't recommend it enough. It, it's written. It's a narrative history of code. 
it goes through semaphore, it goes through assembly, it builds up uh, different electrical circuits and just an excellent, excellent book. Cool. Yeah, I'll definitely check it out. Awesome. Uh, one last comment, or one last comment. Uh, J.R. Hunt ignoring his mom's call during the V. Brownback presentation. That's dedication to his craft. <laughs> oh, I'm definitely going to get yelled at in a little bit. Uh, yeah, yeah. Although it's it's East Coast time for her, so I don't know why she's not asleep already. <laughs> <laughs> it's only 9.30 over here. <laughs> exactly. Oh, too funny. Cool. All right. Um, let me uh, double check one last time. Uh, nope. The board. The board is clear. Um, a lot of a lot of thank yous and job well done's and very informatives, um, but uh, no no additional questions or drill downs. So so um, send me send me the links uh, and I'll and I'll incorporate those into the show notes for for some of the examples. Um, and everybody has your email address to hit you up if they have any additional questions. Wonderful. Uh, all right. Thank you all so much for tuning in, and thanks a lot, Chris, for having me on. I hope you have a nice evening. <laughs> Bye. Awesome. Thanks so much, Randall.